Dear Father, as we come before you this wonderful morning, we really pray that you help us to understand Deuteronomy chapter 4. That we will be able to look at your word, which was spoken so many thousands of years ago, and see that it still speaks to us today. That we can meet you again afresh, and that it will really stick in our minds, and through the Holy Spirit, that we will be truly obedient to it. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, as many of you know, <coughs> I'm a bit slow when it comes to uh, technology. Uh, I'm not like Ray or somebody, right? I'm always like a few generations before uh, what's actually happening. So, you know that uh, not too long ago, I discovered YouTube. And then uh, now, I sort of moved on to the next new thing, Facebook, right? Uh, but actually, I'm sort of going backwards now because now I actually started reading some blogs of people. And blogs are these things, you know, where, you know, in the olden days, I don't know, maybe I'm a very old person, the, the, every year I feel older and older. You know, in the olden days when I have a diary, I, I kept a diary, right? You know, you write your diary, then you make sure you hide it under your bed so that no one reads it. But nowadays, people put everything, they, you know, all their thoughts up on the blog so everybody can read it, right? Instead of hiding it under your bed. And I remember what happened was, um, I uh, went to this guy's Facebook thing and then it referred me to this blog. And when I went to this blog, it was a really depressing blog, right? And uh, I didn't realize that uh, it was so dark, that people write such dark things about themselves. And it was about this young man who said that he grew up in a Christian family, went to Sunday school, went to youth group. In fact, he was a leader in the youth group. But apparently, something happened to him in his life. And it caused him to question his faith. And because of what happened, he demanded God give him a sign that God would appear before him, that God would do something supernatural right there and then before him. But then, of course, God didn't do anything. And because of that, he wrote in his blog that he didn't, you know, he lost faith in God. And now his blog is just basically full of all these dark and really uh, depressing musings about his life. Okay, reading these blogs can actually be very uh, a depressing thing, and it actually made me very depressed. As you can ask my wife, I talked to her about it, and uh, I was really grieved for this person. You know, that uh, he was so depressed in his life. And I felt that if I could, I would say to him, I would read, you know, in, in the blog you can write a note, right? Leave a message. I would write him a message and say, please go to btpc.org and listen to this sermon. Okay, because I think that Deuteronomy chapter 4 actually will speak to people about how we sustain our faith in dark times. How we actually come to experience God on a daily basis. Now, Oh, last week we had a look at the, the book of Deuteronomy and we sort of had a bit of an outline of the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is basically three sermons given by Moses to God's people as they stand outside the promised land. And the first sermon actually goes from chapter 1 to 4. Now, chapter 1 to 3 is actually Moses preaching and he gives a historical outline of what has happened to the Jewish people since They've left Egypt. Uh, and that's probably why most people never go past the first three chapters in the book of Deuteronomy. Right? Because it's full of all these names and places and times of things that we have no idea what's happening. And I think that's why it's very helpful to always have a map to uh, get an idea of what uh, Moses is talking about here. We can see that right in chapter 1, remember last week we said God had brought the people out of Egypt, brought them out of slavery, and uh, rescued his people and he brought them all the way to Mount Sinai, or which in the book of Deuteronomy is always called Horeb. Horeb, right? Mount Sinai and Horeb are the same place. And here, God gave the people the law and the commandments and the decrees. But here as well, we are told last week that the people 
had grown as big as the sky, stars in the sky. And we learned that that was actually God fulfilling His promises to Abraham about how God's people will continue to grow and grow and grow. And then we read last week as well that they moved from Mount Sinai all the way to Kadesh Barnea and then they sent spies into the promised land which is this red area and the spies confirmed that it was a good land and everything was all right. right? Everything was on full speed, fifth gear, ready to go into the promised land. And God told the people, go! But the people said, no, 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 we're not so sure about this. The people are very tall, the walls are very big. We will not go. And then God said, well, if you don't want to go, the land is not for you. And then later on, they said, oh, well, maybe we'll change our mind. Maybe we'll go in now, right? And then God said, no, don't go in. But they still decided to go in and they were punished by God because of their rebellion, their lack of trust, their lack of faith in God. And as a result, as we read in chapter 1 and 2 and 3, the people spent the next 40 years wandering around this area. And there was a reason for it. So if you turn to me to chapter 2, verse 14, see, why did God make them walk around for 40 years? Well, chapter 2, verse 14 of Deuteronomy says, 38 years passed from the time we left Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zered Valley. By then, that entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp, as the Lord had sworn to them. The Lord's hand was against them until He had completely eliminated them from the camp. So, as we look at this passage, in chapter 1 to 3, God brought the people out here, gave them the laws, and the number was very big, and He gave them the, went to Kadesh Barnea, and He told them to go in, and they said, no, we're not going in. And God punished this whole generation of people who were here, and they wandered around for 40 years, and then they died. In chapter 2 and 3, uh, it speaks of a new generation of people who were the next generation. And the next generation of people, God said, you will be the people who go into the promised land. You will be the people who will receive this promise that your forefathers didn't receive because of a lack of faith. Okay, so the next slide. Okay, this is just a blow up of the last slide, okay? So now, if you read chapter 2 and 3, uh, I hope you read it one day, you'll see that the next generation come up here and there's a major battle at this place called Jahaz. Can you see that? J A. H-A-Z, where they defeat the, the, the king of Heshbon, okay, which is this area. So they conquer this area. See the king of Heshbon? They conquer this area. And then they go on and they have another battle here in Adrai. And then also they conquer this area. So now, the next generation have started the first phase of conquest into the promised land. So here now they, they control this area east of the river Jordan. And now they're they're ready, right? The troops are all massed. They're ready to go into the promised land. And that is where we are at today in chapter 4. Right? Moses is saying, look, this is a historical setting. We are ready to go in. The planes are ready. The jet fuel is uh, in the engines. All that. Everybody's ready to go. And what does he say? He says, there are three things. Three things that you must remember to do as you go into the promised land. And what are these three things? Well, the first thing is chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. These are the first of the three things that they must do as they go into the promised land. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and the laws I'm about to teach you. Okay? The commandments I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Now, this is very important. What must they do? The, the fundamental thing they must do as they enter the land is keep 
the laws and the decrees that God is giving them as they go into the land. Now, it is very important here that we pay attention to what is being said. God's people are to live as God's people. Now, that sounds very basic, right? God's people are to live as God's people as they go into the promised land. Now, it's not as if they keep the laws so that they become God's people. You know, sometimes people think, oh no, if I keep the Ten Commandments, I become a Christian. No, that's not true, isn't it? God gives them grace and love and generosity. He gives them the land. And He says, now that you are in the land, now that you've taken possession of the land, live as my people. And that's a very, very important thing, isn't it? Because they don't keep the law, right, so that they become God's people, but rather, because they are God's people, they must keep the law. Now, one way of thinking about it is this. Have any of you seen uh, the movie Blindside? Oh, you haven't seen? Okay, one person. Okay, two or three. It's a very good movie. I recommend you watch it, all of you, right? It's uh, uh, Sandra Bullock uh, won the Academy Award for Best Actress in it. And basically... It's a really good Christian movie, which is very unusual for a Hollywood movies. It's actually got a lot of Christian values, and it's about a Christian family. And it's about how this Christian family adopt this poor black kid who goes to their school. Uh, his, uh, the, 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 the black kid doesn't know his father. His mother has multiple uh, fa- uh, husbands who, for whom she's fathered many children. She, the mother is a drug addict and is unable to provide and care for this uh, black child. In fact, in his whole life, this black child has never slept on a mattress before. Right? He just sleeps on people's couches and sofas and all his friends' places. Anyway, in this true story, it's a true story, right? This Christian family, out of love and generosity, take this black boy into their house, uh, which is a bit of a risk. Right? I'm not sure whether I would do it because this guy is huge, right? I mean, like, he's bigger Maybe three times bigger than anybody in our church. Okay? And he's a huge guy and then they bring him into his family and then the moment that he becomes part of the, 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 the family name is called Tua, right? the Tua family. As soon as he becomes part of the Tua family, the mom says to the boy, right, well, you know, you've got to change the way you dress, change the way you talk, change the way you behave because now you are part of the Tua family. No longer do you live like you lived in the ghetto. No longer do you talk like the way you talk in the ghetto. No longer do you behave like you behave in the ghetto. Now, when I remember the movie, I think this is exactly the same situation here, isn't it? Because God is saying, look, I brought you out of Egypt and I've now put you in this new promised land. No longer will you live the way you lived before, but you must live according to my rules, my laws, my decrees, my commandments. See, they are to be recognizably God's people because they live according to the kingdom rules, to God's rules. And that's why if you look at me to uh, verse 5 to verse 8, you can see that they are to live this way so that they will witness to the people around them. Look what it says there in verse 5. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them again in the land you are entering to take possession of. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them? 
the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? You see, when the people around them look at Israel, they will say, hey, you know these new guys, the new neighbors that moved in? I believe they came from Egypt. Look at them, they're different. They don't sacrifice their children. Uh, They don't have sex uh, with a temple prostitute. Uh, They don't uh, uh, um, discriminate and oppress the poor. Look what righteous and wise laws they have. And this will mark them out as God's people. See, they have to keep the laws and decrees, not so that they will become God's people, but it will mark them out as God's people. And I think that that's such an important lesson for us today, isn't it? Because the question for us is, do we keep God's laws? Right? Many people think, oh, you know, uh, if you ever ask anybody, you know, are you, a, uh, you, know, are you God's person? Are, do you have a relationship with God? And some people say, yeah, yeah, you know, I keep the Ten Commandments. Now, if anybody ever says that to you, you should ask them, uh, okay, tell me what the Ten Commandments are, right? Because most people won't be able to tell you what the Ten Commandments are. But that's a completely wrong understanding, you see. Because, actually, it is only God's people who keep God's laws. It is the mark of being a, a God's person in response to grace and love that you keep these laws. See, as Christians, we do not become saved by obeying the laws and decrees and commandments. We are saved because we trust in Jesus. We have faith in Jesus. Because we put our complete, everything into Jesus at the cross. Now that we belong to Christ and we're part of Christ's kingdom, that's why we obey the commandments and the laws that Jesus tells us. See, look at what it says up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at the order of the words. Look at what Paul says. Uh, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice that? So, what, what starts first? What is the first step? What is the foundation? The first step is to be sanctified in Christ Jesus. We are to be cleansed in Jesus. We are to be right in Jesus. And then because of that, then we are called to be holy. So the question I want to ask you is, are you keeping the laws and decrees and commandments that mark you out to be a Christian? Do you take them seriously in your life? Is it something that's important to you? Uh, is it something that uh, you, know, you take seriously in your life? When people look at you, do they say, wow, you know, the way you live is with such understanding and wisdom and righteousness that this person is different, isn't it? He's special or she's special. Because you belong to Jesus, so you must have Jesus' values. See, what we do is in response to God's saving grace, isn't it? Just as God gave the Israelites the land and said, if you're going to live in the land, this is the way you behave. So Jesus says, you want to accept the cross and be saved? Then what must you do? You must follow what I tell you to do. You must live like a heavenly kingdom person. Now that's the first thing God tells Israelites. The first thing is as you enter the land, keep the law. 
But what is the second thing he says? The second thing is in verse 2, isn't it? In verse 2 of chapter 4, he says, Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give to you. Now he says, you know the law, the decrees, these things I tell you, don't play with it, don't uh, touch it, don't change it. True religion is God meeting us on His terms. On His time, His place, His terms. Because God is God. We don't dictate to God how we want to meet Him, where we want to meet Him, and at what occasion. God is one that tells us. See, if you think of it this way, imagine uh, you get invited uh, to the Istana. You know the Istana? You get invited to the Istana to have an official dinner with uh, President our president, okay, and President Arden. And on the invitation card, it says to you, okay, uh, please come on such and such a date, come by 7 o'clock, uh, this is your dress code. Time, the place, and the terms. Now, I presume we're, none of us here is more important than President Arden, right? Anybody here more important than President Arden? No, right? Okay, so, now, we get the invitation and we say, let's imagine you get the invitation and say, well, you know, it says here it starts at 8 o'clock. Oh, sorry, 7 o'clock. Sorry, I said 7 o'clock beginning with, right? And I say, it says here at 7, but I don't think I feel like going at 7. Um, there is the ESPN uh, sports thing at 7.30. So after I watch that, I'll go, go along at 8.30. Uh, okay, no, it says here black tie, but uh, I don't own a black tie. Uh, I only got my Bermudas, right? But it's very expensive Bermudas. So I'll, I'll, I'll wear those instead. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, when I go there, I'll just decide to go there after my badminton game without a shower. Okay? Now, what will happen to you when you arrive at the Istana? Will you get in? In fact, will you actually stay in the party? No, isn't it? You'll probably be politely shown out by the Gurkha guards. And it's the same thing here, isn't it? Because God says, when you go into the land, this is the way that you are to behave before me. This is the way that you must these are the terms, these are the conditions that you must behave. And he gives in chapter three, uh, sorry, verse 3 and verse 4 an example of what happens if you choose not to follow the conditions, the terms, the laws and decrees that he gives us. So look what it says here in verse 3 and verse 4. What will happen to us? Or what happens to the Israelites if they choose to do their own terms or they change and add to it? You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the ball of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. Well, very clear, isn't it? Uh, the full historical account of this can be found in Numbers chapter 25. If you have the time to read it, I really encourage you to read it. But basically it goes a bit like this, right? God's people decided that the religion, the, the religion that God had given them, was, uh, was not up to what they wanted. They wanted a bit of a change, right? Because, you know, a change is as good as a holiday or whatever, right? So they decided to act, add into uh, God's religion, or the worship of God, the religion of the Moabites. And if you read Numbers 25, what did they say was, they said, well, you know, God, we decide that uh, in order to worship you, maybe it's good to have sex with the temple prostitutes at the pagan temple. Right? What harm could that have? Right? Maybe we'll offer sacrifices to the pagan god Baal as well. Maybe, maybe if we do that, 
right? We will get more blessings or whatever. But the problem was that was adding to what God had told them to do, isn't it? That was adding to the laws and decrees of God's commandments. God judged them. And for those people who chose to add to God's laws and decrees, they were judged and they died. Now, it's a bit amazing, isn't it? Because when we look back at the Old Testament, I don't know about you, but when I look back at the Old Testament, I sort of think, wow, these people, the Israelite people, they're not very clever, isn't it? I mean, how can having sex with temple prostitutes, sacrificing, uh, you know, sacrifices to the ball, actually, how would they think that that's okay with God? Or at the same time, you know, I'm not sure whether you remember, but, you know, how is it when, when Moses is at the top of Mount Sinai, why is it that people are down, down there making a golden calf and saying, look, this calf is what brought us out of Egypt. Now, what's wrong with these people? But I think that deep inside every one of us, there's a great temptation to add or subtract from God's commandments. Because we, we like to subtract things that we don't like, and maybe we like to add things that we like. And I think that in the New Testament, it's very clear that even in the New Testament, thousands of years later, right, people are still adding and subtracting to God's laws and commandments. So look up here. Remember we did Mark? Okay, we did Mark just earlier this year, so you should have remembered this, right? Remember what the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel, they were accused by Jesus of adding to God's laws and commandments. Verse 11. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is corbin, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. In the book of Galatians, I'm so astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Okay, next slide. Colossians chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through a hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And again, Revelation 22, which actually warns that anybody who adds anything to the book of Revelation or, or, or the canon of the New Testament or takes away anything will never live in the holy city. Now this means that all of us here have a great temptation. Uh, that the New Testament church, God's people in Israel, all of them had a great temptation of changing or bending or molding God's laws and commandments into something which is different from what God said. And we cannot see it as innocent, as harmless or without consequence. Because God says when we add or subtract from what He tells us, there will be great costs and great costs. But we do it all the time, isn't it? I mean, I think when I look around Christians in the world today, or even Singapore, I see people who do not take God's warning seriously. I hope you take God's warning seriously because I think, like I heard in the movie the other day, they will be held to pay, right? They will really be held to pay if you add or subtract from God's commandments. So I remember one church leader said, the Bible says this, but I have deliberately chosen to preach this. 
Well, he's deliberately subtracted from what God said, isn't it? I've heard other people say, the Bible says this, but we have chosen not to follow it. Because, you know, uh, Paul said it, or because the historical context is different today. We are smarter today than what the Bible says. Or maybe some people say, oh, you know, God, God is a God of love. Uh, God is not like the Old Testament anymore. We don't have to follow the rules and regulations. God is all about love. Right? And I remember telling you uh, a while ago, how, uh, many years ago, I went to Switzerland on a holiday. It was a very, very good holiday. Feels like a long time ago now, right? And uh, we went to this, uh, we took a train down to Italy and we went to this marvelous, marvelous church. Right? It's such a marvelous church, it still fills my mind, right? And just to give you how, an idea of how majestic this great church was, the ceiling of this church, okay, the highest point of the ceiling is quite high, right? Imagine the ceiling of this church was probably three times the height of our church. The size of the hall of this church was probably ten times the size of our hall. And all along the sides of this wonderful, magnificent church were, were these beautiful paintings, more beautiful than any painting that you could you know, see in our, our museums. And they had all these candles everywhere, and the organ music was playing. And they had this huge marble statue of uh, Mary holding the baby Jesus. But we weren't allowed to get close to this um, big marble statue holding baby Jesus. Why? Because the feet or the toes of this great marble statue is about, probably the statue is probably about up to half the height of the ceiling. Right? So it gives you how high this statue was. Because people would come and kiss the feet of this statue and so many people's lips had kissed the feet of this statue that the feet were getting worn out. Right? So can you imagine all that saliva? Right? And, and, and how many people kissed the feet to wear out this marble? And you sort of think, well, you know, when I step back, I sort of think about it. It's just, is this, would God feel that that's an acceptable way to worship Him? I don't think so, isn't it? According to what He says in His Word, is this adding to the worship of God? I think it is. I think it is. And that's why we must be so careful in our own lives that we must never add or subtract from what God's Word tells us that is acceptable worship to Him. So first principle, keep the commands of God. Second principle, don't add or subtract from them. Now what's the third principle by which these people, the Israelites, must live by as they enter into the Promised Land? It comes in verse 9 to 14. He says there, only be careful, be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before your God at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, and when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of voice but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, 
which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing, the Jordan to possess. Now I think here is a very important principle. True worship, true religion of God is not recreating a new experience of God every day, or every week, or every month, or every year. But notice what verse 9 says. They are to remember. They are to be watchful. They are not to let slip from their heart what they saw at Sinai, or what is happening to them today. And I think it's a very important thing. It's a very important principle, because it shows that as Christians, we do not, or God's people, we do not look for new experiences of God, but we remember the experiences of God that He has chosen to reveal Himself in. You see, I always want to you know, impress upon people that the laws, okay, even the Ten Commandments, right? they don't come out of a vacuum. They don't plucked out of thin air. right? It's not as if the space shuttle went up into uh, space and they found the Ten Commandments. right? The Ten Commandments were given in the context of an experience or revelation of God at a particular time in history, Mount Sinai. Right, it's very important for them to remember that they must always remember and teach their children this is where we got the law and God appeared to us on that day. See, the law that we have today is not something that is philosophically made up, you know. It's like, oh, some person sat down one day and said, what would be a good law? Uh, how would we... It relate to God. No. It comes out of an experience of God at Mount Sinai. Of God speaking to them. And that's why one of the very first commandments is they should not have any idols, isn't it? They should not have any idols. Now why is Israel so different compared to all the neighbors who have lots of idols? Because when the people of God experienced God, they didn't see a form, but they heard a voice. God said, there is nothing in creation that can, that can symbolize me because I'm, I'm greater than creation. I'm too far above creation. See, look what it says there in verse 15. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourself an idol, right? an image of any shape, the fish, sea, stars, whatever. You see, because the, the laws are based upon the experience of God. And that's why we must never, never keep asking God, can you give me a new experience today of you? Give me a miracle, give me something supernatural. But the Bible says always go back and remember when God appeared to His people. Now I remember someone once said to me once, you know, he says, Andrew, you know, your preaching is not very original, huh? Okay? You're preaching not very original. And what he's actually saying, oh, you know, it's not very unique. You know, give me a new perspective on the passage. Give me a new interpretation of the passage. Give me a new idea of the passage. But, you know, actually, it's very simple in, in, in a sense uh, to preach God's Word because all you're doing is getting you to remember what the Bible already says. It is just reminding you of the same things week after week after week after week of what the Bible is saying. See, I'm not here to give you a new idea every week. I'm not here to give you a new perspective every week. I'm not here to give you a new, unique idea every week. Right? I'm just here to rem remind you. To remind you and make sure you don't forget what you really know from the Bible. 
it's the same thing in the New Testament, right? If, if you look up here in, the, in, in these passages, right? it's always about, you know, this is what Peter said to um, his congregation, so I'll always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I'll soon put it aside as the Lord Jesus has made clear to me. I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always remember these things. See, true worship of God is not getting new experiences of God, it is remembering the experiences of God that God has already determined in His time, in His place, and on His terms. In John chapter uh, 14, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit, one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is what? Verse 26, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You see, my friends, what happens to me today is more important than what happened to me last year, isn't it? Isn't that true? And what happened to me yesterday is more important than what happened to me 10 years ago, isn't it? So, my great temptation now is I want you know, something to happen to me today. I want something fresh to happen to me, to remind me of the presence of God. Maybe speaking in tongues, some healing, some supernatural thing. Maybe I expect someone to be slain in church so we can make them revive again. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Right? I don't know, I need a volunteer. Come up to the front so I can you know, slay you and then we can feel God all over again. But the Bible says no. We must go back and be reminded of the cross. Go back and be reminded of Mount Sinai when God appeared. There's an old a black spiritual song which says, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Now obviously, we were not there because we're not that old. But in one sense, when we read God's word, when we remember what happened then, we were there. We were there. We were there when they crucified my Lord. We were there when he went to the cross. We were there when he rose from the dead. And that's why it says here that we must never forget. We must always have it close to our heart. We must always teach our children. So, as we look at this passage, I'd like to encourage you. Do you go to God's word to remind you of your meeting with God? Do you go to God's Word to experience God afresh? Do you go back to God's Word to really have an encounter with God? Because it's not just about reading God's Word, right? It's actually hearing the voice of God in the Bible. It's actually hearing the voice of God, isn't it? It's having a a fresh experience of God every day because we go back to what happens at the cross, what happens at Mount Sinai. Do you read the Word to your children? Do you teach them and remind them? Do you tell them about how God encountered us at the cross on Mount Sinai? Do you go to Bible study? Do you listen to the sermon? Right? When you go to Bible study, do you, do you actually read it? So you think, you know, this is what God is really like. This is what God is... This is God speaking to me right now. See, and I think that's why when I, uh, when I began the sermon, I talked about this blog, the guy on the internet, because for him, this person who is really depressed, 
this person who writes in this really, really dark and moody blog, I'd like to say to him, look, for you to demand that God come right now and do something supernatural to you, right? to ask God, okay, God, turn the page of the Bible for me right now. Okay, move the page. I can't see anything happening, right? For you to ask God and say, look, I want you to give me a fresh experience today. That's a very arrogant thing to do, isn't it? Because we are not God. We cannot demand that God do that for us. But what God tells us to do is the legitimate way to meet God, the right way to encounter and to meet Him is to open His Word. It is to go back and say, that is the way God appeared to His people. At Mount Sinai, at Calvary, at the cross. And now that we are part of His family, we should keep listening to Him and not forget what He said. To keep His laws and commandments, we should not add and subtract from it. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly fathers, we come before you today. Truly we pray that we will see that you are a great God who has decided to meet his people at your time, at your place and on your terms. Help us to see that we are just creatures before you and that it is your great grace and generosity and love which saves us and brings us into your kingdom. Help us to see that if we want to live in your kingdom, we must reflect the kingdom values. We must live as heavenly people. We must not add or subtract from what you've told us. And we must keep remembering and not forgetting, but keeping close to our hearts all the revelation that you've given to us in history. That we must not be arrogant and demand a fresh encounter of you daily, day by day, but instead to look at your word and to see how you have appeared to your people and how it is communicated to us through your word, and how it is as real to us as it was for those people. And therefore, continue to always be strengthened in our faith, and to have our relationship be made really real with you in every way. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.